Filmmaker Toolkit podcast this week is sponsored by The White Lotus. For your Emmy consideration, HBO presents The White Lotus, nominated for 20 Emmys, which is a lot of Emmys, including outstanding limited series and outstanding writing for a limited series. Don't miss what critics call a captivating, sharp, and soulful series. All episodes of The White Lotus are now streaming on HBO Max. The Filmmaker Toolkit podcast is also sponsored this week by Hacks. For your Emmy consideration, HBO presents Hacks, nominated for 17 Emmys, including Outstanding Comedy Series and Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series, The Great Gene Smart. Don't miss the show that critics call a triumph. All episodes of Hacks are now streaming on HBO Max. Hi, y'all. Welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. My name is Sarah Shackett. I'm the associate craft editor over at IndieWire. And today I am so thrilled to bring you this conversation with Mark Mylod, director and executive producer on Succession. And if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you, you got to hear the wonderful deep dive we did on season two of Succession, which features a lot of Mark. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, you have at least seen some memes from Succession, I'm willing to bet. And the show really is as well-crafted and wild and encompassing a portrait of the 1% as I think we're ever likely to get. Mark's work on the beginning and end of season three are particular highs in a season that doesn't miss a note, really. So to hear his thoughts about how the show works and how he supports the performances and the journeys of the characters is to get a masterclass in how to think visually about character and story. And so I hope you enjoy this one. To start, Mark, I feel like a lot of folks who have followed Succession for the past three seasons are aware of the the special way in which y'all shoot it. But just in case, I mean, what, the, the, this is anyone's first interview listening to someone from the show talk about the making of it. How is Succession shot differently from other television series? Uh, let's say we've got a scene in an apartment with three siblings um, and they're talking and they're moving around during the scene. We may or may not rehearse it depending on the emotional potency of the scene. Um, for this scenario, let's say that we're doing one kind of half-paced rehearsal. Um, and, uh, and well, in this case, I'll, I'll, I'll be on set with the actors. We'll talk about it. So we'll find it. Um, I might not, uh, my initial staging, even if I have a, a definite plan in terms of putting that to the actors, I like them to discover that for themselves and they like and need to discover that for themselves. So even if I really need them to end up by the window ledge by page two, um, I'll try to let them find that for themselves rather than saying, can you be there then? Um, some actors are better at, you know, the, uh, with a, at actually accommodating that um, but I try to let them all find it for themselves that way the scene just feels everybody feels more authentic and uh, and like their character is, is discovering their way through that scene so that's the first base of the staging we try to keep as loose as possible or disguise it if there is you know a specific need then we put cameras on it um, if there's a some scenes will be more stylized or kind of preordained and we need a special piece of equipment so we'll have discussed that in the standard way for pre-production but what is more often and more specific to succession is that i'll then show the scene to the crew and specifically our camera operators and uh and pat our dp and then we'll talk about it okay do we maybe we'll put 
an L-shaped track with two dollies and two cameras on long zoom so that we can hunt and find and zoom in and keep voyeuristic and stay out of it, um, stay out of their way. But we can we can keep a little objectivity and stay back if that's the nature of the scene. Um, or maybe we'll have two handheld cameras and we'll just get in there straight away. Um, handheld short zooms, we'll put both cameras right in there and just be part of the melee, close close up with wide lenses that which is probably our most kind of common um, modus operandi in that case well the next thing that will happen really after pat has had his lighting time um is we will go straight for a take and both camera operators who will have seen the script will have seen the rehearsal will know the script will be talking um specifically about what we want out of the scene that is not on the page what is the what is the subtext what is the counterpoint what is the uh, what is the emphasis which characters are important what reactions are important but then we'll just go straight into it certainly in the episodes I direct we will never go for a wide shot and then work closer we'll go exactly the opposite we'll start close straight in on the performance and we'll try to get the meat and the spontaneity as quickly and quickly but as early as possible in the process um so that by the time we drop back into wide shots, everybody's kind of creatively spent, we've got the scene. And that's, yeah, it's somewhat reductive, but that's pretty much the ethos, is get in there and, and, and get first thoughts, first instincts, and then work it from there. Um, and, and each take will be, we won't do the same take twice. Next time, okay, maybe try this, maybe try that. What if there's this? So everybody's exploring with every take and the cameras are doing a different thing and have completely free reign to, to do different things each time. Or I'll ask for specifics if there's something I know that I need or if there's a, a, a modulation from subject one to be to uh, etc so but but it's incredibly free form um uh, and somewhat chaotic and possibly terrifying it feels especially in those moments of transition where you're moving from a slightly more objective view to being in with a character um it feels very very controlled chaos is that something that is more found sort of in the edit, looking at all of the different options, or is that something that you really speak to the camera operators about of, okay, we're going to start the scene like very close with Kendall, but by the end, we're, he's going to be alone in an empty room or something like that. It's, it's a mixture of both, to be honest, Sarah. There was, you know, I have a very specific plan um, in terms of the emotional beats that I want to find um, and the revelations that I want the camera to find of, of, of any character in any, in, in any given scene and uh, each individual scene because of the beauty of Jesse's writing has a very specific um, narrative thread but also all these secondary and tertiary layers that you want to explore and, and sniff around and sometimes they only reveal themselves through the actual shooting so there is a, a kind of bravery needed to, to dig in and explore oh look at that look at that and uh, and to be curious about um, the, the human interactions in the moments um, and that and I know going into it the journey that I need as you said you know I, I, I need to I know that the story starts here and the emotional journey starts here and I know that by the time we get to the end of the scene it's going to be there so I, I, I know the start and finish and very often I will know the bits in between but I will try to keep that to myself because I don't want the actors to feel manipulated it, it, it's counterproductive. Do you sort of do any mapping um, not just you know 
individually what certain scenes need, but have a sense of this episode is going to be a little bit more objective, or this episode we're really going to be stuck with Mark or whoever. We're going to, to need to be up close more often than we're not. Because I'm curious, Succession has such an interesting balance of objectivity and subjectivity. I'm curious how you think about it. The script tends to lead the way, if you, if, uh, and it reveals itself in prep. In prep, um, and I think you know that in that way, I think the directorial process is is quite typical of drama direction. Um, speaking to fellow directors, in that as pre-production continues and as one has more information, the location, the costume, the car, uh, whatever it may be, then what starts off as quite a sketchy shooting of the scene in one's head becomes more complete. Um, I try... The, the difference with Succession is that I... Tr- it's not that I try to... I'm not in denial of what I'm shooting in my head because that's an automatic process by now. Um, to, to have a version shot in before we actually shoot, um, but I try to be a lot looser in, in terms of allowing myself to be um, to be swayed by what hopefully is a better idea on the day. Um, and the trick, of course, is deciding what's a better idea and what's not, and when when to stay the course and, and when to go with the, with, with this incoming idea or or, or impulse Um, and that I suppose that's the same for any director Um, as opposed to you know the specific you know up close and wide I mean there's essentially there's three modes in which we shoot again somewhat reductive up close and wide um, voyeuristic long lens search and find um, when you want a bit more you know the distance Um, and um, and also you know on occasion um, more classic montaged shooting, you know, more more dolly based constructed shots, particularly for some you know set pieces, some set piece moments. Um, building building the episode is uh, what the moment will be and what the mode will be for the way we shoot in any one moment. As I said, is somewhat emotionally driven by the content of the scene, and as a director, of course, one's job is to look at the the overall ride, the theme park ride that you're taking the audience on for that hour of television, and to, uh, to make sure that that ride has nuance and uh, and crests and peaks, like like hopefully like uh, creating a uh, you know a a musical ride for the audience. Yeah, especially because the the scripts tend to be a little bit longer than an hour hour of television. Yeah. Yeah, very much. So we the, our, our first assemblies can be very long. Um, I think <laughs> the longest. I think we might have managed one hour fifty last year, and for the season finale. Um, so and um, and I I watched the first assembly from 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 Ken, our editor, um, and. And there's a. I've got a little bit used to it now, but it used to be. Oh my goodness, how are we ever going to get this done? We're going to have to ask. This this episode has to be ninety minutes. Has to be ninety minutes. <laughs> and then, and then that Darwinian process begins in the edit. And and, uh, and you know, and we've always all very back in season one. It became very apparent that story, 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 story. And we've lost so much beautiful character magic and uh, um, and brilliant comedic moments in because we relentlessly follow story follow story and it's it served as well i think but um but there are a few moments where you go oh my goodness i would kill to have that back you know i'd love to sort of dig in slightly more to what you mean by story 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 because i think i know but it's not just plot it's not just what's happening but sort of those hinge moments for characters um is that something that 
it takes like a few watches through the assembly to sort of find? Is that something where you're you watch it once and you're like, okay, that moment's safe, and it's just about how much you can fit in time? My approach to story and definition of story, again, somewhat reductively, that's my caveat for everything, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, um, it? Is that there's always at least two narratives. There's you know there's a there's a narrative framework that we use um, in, in the writers' room to which is normally plot driven and you know more often than not is to do with the power struggle, uh, to do with the company, uh, to do with Waystar investigating uh, who the challenges are. What what uh, so there's the business. Um, narrative and then there's a totally separate strand um which is the emotional story um uh, to do with the conflicts and the emotional journeys of the characters and their relationships and and of course those two are interwoven um and at any one moment you know what takes precedent as an editorial as an editorial choice is the choice there becomes so myriad um as to um, on what decides what takes precedent um you know, we are we're obviously, you know, television and all your cliches, you know, is a is a character medium. But but and so so of course, you know, my passion is to to delve into these characters and the the, the tragicomic their tragicomic lives. And and uh, so that to me is kind of always my priority. Jesse is, you know, I think probably sees the the complete picture in that he also has this extraordinary understanding of business and uh, and economics and the power dynamics of business that's way beyond my, my understanding. Um, so I tend to err towards... Th- the character narrative or the, the character storylines and we we i'm the touchy-feely one basically um so and we we work it out between us it's good to have a balance um <laughs> i wanted to ask you specifically about shooting in italy for the end of season three um because it just uh, re-watching it all the bells say last night it just feels like you know obviously the light is different in Italy than it is in New York, um, but it just feels like that certain certain possibilities, certain kinds of compositions opened up for y'all over there that you wouldn't necessarily have done if you if you were were shooting in the uh, in the Northeast uh, of America. And I'm curious, sort of, for your reflections on on getting to go there. In shooting Italy, you, you get, I suppose, on some level, you get that connective tissue of power dynamics and power struggles across centuries so so you do get that ongoing kind of historical continuum which is a lovely kind of sub-level isn't it um so so there's that we get that you know somewhat in new york as well obviously and that you've got all that power dynamic of the pulse of the city as well but but to have it in historical terms like that was was lovely um and uh thickened the brew um the the light there, the Mediterranean light, and I, I, we tried to use this in Croatia as well at the end of season two, of not shying away from the harshness of the light, um, of just a, a actually, again, any time we can see our characters' wealth and privilege does not protect them, that they still get caught in the rain, that they still get caught in traffic jams, that they still get, that sometimes they can't hide from the sun, the glaring the, the glaring overhead midday sun, um, that... Um, that's a good tool for us. It's, it's a harsh light, and uh, and uh, it's sometimes very uncomfortable to shoot in. Um, but uh, but I really like that look. I love the the almost blown out harshness of it. Um, I think it works for for story dynamics. Um, so I, I 
I love that. Um, and then, of course, you know, Italy offers such extraordinary beauty, um, and um, and one tries to weaponize that so that we, the audience, kind of get the benefit of it or the appreciation of it, whilst our characters who are in that environment get absolutely no appreciation or even notice it. Um, so uh, again, you get that somewhat. You get to weaponize it and get that comment on our characters um, uh, and their. So it works on that level um, uh, as well as we sort of, which is useful to me because otherwise I'd feel like I was fetishizing the, the locations and the wealth too much. I, I feel it's legitimate when I can see, when I see that beauty and then I see them completely blinkered to it. Yeah, I mean, it feels like you wouldn't see Harriet Walters anywhere else but an Italian villa. But then, but then she gets to to have that just absolutely knee-capping conversation with Sarah Snook. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're my ending, yeah. And that makes a ton of sense. I really, it, it, it makes me think about the scene between Shiv and Tom walking through town where the light is very blown out or they're in shadow and sort of the movement between those two informs their conversation. That was a very specific, yeah, I'm really touched and delighted that you picked up on that. I'm not sure I've ever said it out loud, but I always think that Jesse writes like he's writing music and both in terms of rhythm and in terms of emotional dynamics um and that that can work for whole episodes for whole seasons um and also for scenes and that that and that scene for me is a kind of three act it's like you know three movements of a symphony if you like if that's that's sounds very highfalutin but um but jesse's writing is worthy of it um and so yeah so that idea of uh, of that first uh, um the small talk, the meat, and then the denial, um, uh, and, uh, and the whitewashing, as which is the the classic um, structure of, of of Shiv and Tom's relationship, isn't it? Or, or, or always always finding a way to dodge the the, hard, the harsh truth uh, uh, in, in some way, even when it's glaring right at them, even when it's almost irrefutable. No, they live in the euphemism. Yeah. Those two. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> COVID hasn't gone away. We're still dealing with the restrictions of it. But when y'all were shooting season three, even more so. And there's a thing that I'm starting to to notice where shooting well with pandemic restrictions isn't just about like making it not feel like we miss crowd scenes, but making smaller scenes feel bigger and feel more monumental. And so I'm curious how you approached season three in terms of, you know, making it not feel any slighter or feel any less than previous seasons. Yeah, it was a real challenge. And, and actually, the, the writers room were really smart and they solved a lot of the problems for us. We structured the season's episodes with a roll of the dice um, in the hope and expectation of when we eventually we eventually thought it safe enough to start shooting in November of 2020, still very much in the throes of, of those early waves of COVID. So we kept the episodes really intimate um, in terms of the structure of them. If you look at, you know, one and particularly two in the in Rava's apartment, they're very intimate. Um, or we're just in the hotel room with uh, with Logan and his clan, um, um, and, that, and we gradually scaled up so that, um, with the exception of one scene in episode three, a library press awards do, which we actually shot significantly later in the season to, to go in there, but we kept the writing intimate. Um, uh, until really the first episode of any scope was episode five. Um, um, Kevin Bray did a beautiful job with that episode of the AGM episode. Um, and, and that, I think it was maybe 
late April or that, that we were shooting there. And we'd, we'd rolled the dice in the hope that by then the cases um, w- would have dipped with the, with the warmer weather to the point where we might be able to have more background in the room, more people in the room at one time. And even then we were, we tried to avoid visual effects as much as possible in the show. We tried to be as in-camera as possible. Um, but in, even in that case, we were still, you know, in the in the, the audience at the AGM, we did some audience replication visual effects there to, to, to be as safe as possible um, with our numbers. And then by the time we got through to those later episodes into Birthday Party uh, and then into the wedding episodes eight and nine, um, luckily at that point, um, the, the, the severity of the caseload had come down to the point where we could actually, as we'd hoped and prayed for, really, to, to, to get more yeah, more people in the frame. When you're, you're working with those more intimate scenes, is there any sort of pressure or impetus to sort of get up a little bit closer to sort of mask? For me, no, because, because I think you can weaponize space. In obvious camera craft ways, characters can... Sometimes characters being far apart is obviously has its own... Um, has its own visual tension, uh, isolating the, the, the learning, the, the, the obvious camera craft things. Um, um, so I never felt, in episodes one and two, which I directed, and then of course I didn't direct till, till later on, so I can't speak for my fellow directors in, in, those, in those intervening episodes. Um, for me, um, I tried to embrace the intimacy of, of episodes one and two, the, the, the traps, and, uh, and to... And because a lot of those, particularly when we got into the second half of episode one and particularly in episode two, it was a long night where our characters are the after the initial um, adrenaline of, of the aftermath of the press conference, it becomes a chess match of what do we do now? What do we do now? So there's a lot of consideration and, and attention as to, uh, as to tr- obviously Kendall's ultimate aim is to bring the siblings together in an alliance, which he will ultimately fail at until the end of the season. But the, the, the tensions of the, the four of them either crushed together in the bedroom, in the, in the childhood bedroom of one of Kendall's children um then there's uh, almost a false intimacy because they're on, on the, a beautiful tonal juxtaposition for me in that in, in this innocent space and that and that kind of return to childhood which we did genuinely explore as a as, as a nostalgic childlike way back in the penultimate episode of season one uh, where we saw the kids go down to the old boathouse where they used to go and smoke or kiss or whatever with their partners or whatever um we saw a genuine little um nugget of a more innocent time here it was more cruelly juxtaposed you 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 have the siblings hiding out in a in a childlike bedroom and yet the tensions are very adult that 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 the power dynamics are, are clashing with that and juxtaposed with with that uh, with that innocence so so there's always a way because of the richness of the tone in the writing there's always a way to weaponize any space i think but is there anything sort of in shooting season three that you felt like you all were able to sort of push the language of the series or sort of add a little bit of new vocabulary into how succession looks and feels um, and and sort of expand it out in any way? I don't think that there was, that that ever happened consciously. I like to think that it did happen unconsciously, but there wasn't a plan to, oh, let's get grander, let's get this, let's get that. There, there was the obvious change in dynamic was an escalation in the conflict um between you know particularly between logan and kendall and that you know what was you know 
what was an undercurrent it was now an outright war um, um, so that was the escalation and and therefore that escalation led to uh, led to have uh, perhaps a somewhat more kind of pugnacious treatment of camera sometimes and uh, and staging so the, uh, uh, probably a, a little more uh, there was an element of that in the pilot which I really loved in Adam's direction um, the, uh, a, a little kind of bombastic quality to it um, which kind of reflected the megalomania uh, 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 of the characters somewhat and I think the writing in season three allowed that strand to, to, to come forward a little bit more um, and it was and, and I loved having that it felt punchy and, uh, uh, and, uh, and pithy and I think because of the more direct conflict between characters that that was great for that to come out come to the fore yeah everything else was kind of more blind instinct to be honest for my part anyway <laughs> that's okay it's good instincts and the show just continues to be magnetic so thank you Thank you so much for, for taking the time again, Mark. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was it. lovely talking to you, Sarah. Thanks a lot. 